0: perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode originally aired on my YouTube channel on the 25th of January 2021, as I spoke to Catherine Parker Maggia. One of the topics I discussed with Catherine was how she transitioned away from a career that she didn't particularly enjoy and become a renowned travel and culture writer. All of that and much more. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm not too bad. The States, you're still quite quite bad, aren't you?
1: Yeah, so I'm based in Wyoming as of two months ago, and I'm going to be out here for the fall. And usually my you know, the stories that I would write about for travel would be sort of far flying destinations. Um, always an emphasis on the outdoors, which works now. But yeah, like I'm really shifting into seeing like what are sort of international comps and domestic travel. So if you'd love to ski the Alps, maybe into the big sky. Or, I mean, focusing a lot on the American West. There are a lot of travelers even on the East Coast who've never been, like they've been to the Alps, never been to the Rockies. So focusing on that, but... It's such a weird time for travel. I feel like it changes every week and it's such an odd limbo period, that I feel like will definitely be continuing at least until next year.
0: So you're a freelance travel writer. I, I believe you were based in New York, but you just said you're based now in Wyoming. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I'm a freelance writer and my work has been published in Trip Savvy, Architectural Digest, Forbes, Business Insider. And I was based in New York sort of ostensibly, but I was traveling pretty much nonstop for two years. I started travel writing two years ago and just, you know, there are so many places in the world that I want to see and there's really no place I don't want to go, particularly if I've never mm. been before. And the more I traveled, the more, you know, the more I learned about sort of different areas and different places. And I just took advantage of every opportunity possible. And I'm happy I did because I traveled like a plague was coming. I predicted that somehow because now it's the first time I've really been in one place for a while. Yeah. At the beginning, I was Quarantines with my whole entire family in New Jersey and I just got out here to Wyoming and was thinking that you know I'm still going to be writing about the trips that I've taken like I think evergreen travel stories there's still an appetite for it and just as a journalist I've never had like longer articles are doing really well people are now online more than ever they're on their screens more and I think that there's this sort of fatigue with the virtual travel and I mean the COVID updates change daily that there is you know mm. not every time but I read a travel story. Am I like going to like book my flight immediately? Usually you sort of seed an idea or you think about it, or you just sort of want an escape. And I feel like those types of escape are like more important now than ever, particularly because like, as we're all quarantined and self isolated and there's so much distrust, you can sort of forget that the world is a beautiful place with really kind, wonderful people. in it. Oh, yeah. it's very easy to get very jaded. And I think like spotlighting the areas of the world or the parts of, and tourism obviously is problematic too. like every industry, but there are, certain areas of tourism in all across the world that are really helping local communities, preserving local culture, and also are very um, environmentally sustainable. So focusing on those as well still, even though we're sort of landlocked.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You said you, you couple, only a couple of years ago you started properly mm-hmm. getting into So what did you do before, before you uh, started travel writing?
1: I was the world's worst advertising junior executive ever. I was working in advertising for a while. I didn't really like it. But the idea of becoming a writer, even though my family, my parents were writers and my and my brother, it just seemed very intimidating, particularly yeah, yeah. because I graduated the sort of the end of print journal like magazine journalism as it was. And then during those ten years I was working in advertising, obviously like digital journalism exploded and I went to graduate yeah. school at the new school in New York, which was wonderful because Suddenly I was surrounded by people who are like, I'm a philosopher of Greek antiquity. It's like, all right, if you're a philosopher of Greek antiquity, I can be a writer. So I started out writing. And I know a lot of people, I think, really want to get into travel writing because it is, I think, the most fun kind of writing and you get to travel. But. It's really hard to break into at the very beginning. Like I thought, you know, i smuggled by accident a weapon, like I the Palestinian border. I'd been like stranded in a sample and I was like, these are great stories. Oh wow. But I found it hard to place them at the beginning. And so what I would do is I'd just pitch to every editor there is like multiple stories. And you know, then you start getting little wins. Like at the beginning, it was like, oh, I'm in Elite Daily or Pop Sugar. And then it was the week in Arc Digest. And the more that I built up my portfolio and had a portfolio to share the more I was able to break into the travel sphere which is ultimately what I like best because you can write about so many different things in relation to travel you can write about politics you can write about dating you can write about the environment yeah um, and I think writing about politics would be really depressing right now but interesting <laughs> and dating would also be depressing right now but very interesting so
0: I've actually covered dating on my show in the past um because within the industry um, there's quite a lot of and it's, it's odd to see so many single travellers now, uh, and um, and some of the, some of my friends as well. You know, you know, good looking guys, you know, gorgeous girls, and you're like, what you do, what you're still doing, single, and you know, they can't commit because the worry is, you know, if, if I get married, if I have kids, I can't travel. But I, I bought a guest on a couple of months ago. They've got kids and they're traveling full time now with their with their family, mm. uh, so it can be done um it's making the commitment really but it, it's absolutely true what you said before you can literally write about anything
1: it's sort of the more stories that you write that are in the genre that you're interested in the more stories you're going to be the more you know trips will be considered for but also the more stories will be pitched to you like i did this track in peru where i hiked to the highest lodges in the world with um and it was an rei track with the andean lodges and really supports all the communities up there, essentially the money from tourism has allowed them to maintain this way of life. And then from there, you know, I did a trip in Nepal and New Zealand. So that was really my specialty. And now, obviously I think those stories are so relevant for people who are, I mean, for me at home, like there are certain places I've wanted to go. Like, I really want to go to Zambia, I was supposed Mm. to go to Zambia, but I, you know, and then I feel like people are focusing on those again. I think it's interesting what you're saying about traveling and dating. So I feel like when you start to travel and you're really loving it. And for me in my career, like I felt like I had this like really great moment. I would say that like, oh yeah, I definitely like I want to date someone, but then you actually don't. I'm just <laughs> like it you have to scratch. So maybe during COVID people will have, co- people will have safely distanced deep COVID relationships while all the <laughs> travel creators are grounded in one place.
0: Are you seeing someone now? Or are you-
1: I am, but I mean, I'm out here in Wyoming, so I'm also... I'm also quarantined solo a little bit. So, but it's been fun. I actually have been doing road trips from here. I went to Big Sky last week. It was spectacular. And, you know, drove through Yellowstone on the way there. And it was just like very safe, very distance, And like stuff like that that you can do. I also think that trips are going to become longer because more and more people are working remotely sort of for an extended period of time. And it's now easier to sort of plan a two-week trip And say you have to work for a certain period or certain days and sort of plan around that. And also now that the emotional cost of of traveling is higher, you know, people are a little bit more worried about it than before. I do believe that people are going to want to make it worth it if they're going to feel like they're endangering themselves in any way.
0: I just want to go back to what you said before. Um, You said you became a writer a couple of years ago. I spoke to someone last week. um, She's been a journalist for, I don't know, 30 years, I think she said. Um, She's written publications for Forbes, CNN, um, and she said she had no qualifications whatsoever in journalism or anything. She was never a writer, never a photographer, none of these things. And you can literally practice and sort of become a professional at it um, if you put your mind to it. And she was just saying, um, it's perseverance, because um, you're going to get knocked back, but you know, you just keep trying. And as, you, as you said before, you just approach all these editors. Publications, and you know, next thing you know, your work's being published with the likes of Forbes, which you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. So,
1: well, you can't get discouraged because honestly, like whether or not an editor takes a pitch, or whether or not, honestly, as a journalist, if you take a pitch, it's not personal, you know what I mean? Like maybe Mm. you're pitching a story about, I don't know, like safaris in South Asia, or like you know, tiger trekking in the pond, they have something on that, you just have to keep going, and usually you can tell you can get enough encouragement for me whenever I got a story published, I would really write the hell out of it because that's your calling card as a journalist. Particularly everything is online. So Mm. you're going to get more articles, the more articles you write. So like, don't wait for the New Yorker to like stay up all night and craft the perfect first sentence. Like I got my start writing for, um, Britain Co and Elite Daily, Britain Co mainly, and like Elite Daily, Pop Sugar. And sometimes I'd be meeting other journalists and they would be sort of dismissive of those publications because they're like millennial and geared towards females. But it's like mm-hmm. the editors I worked with there were spectacular. And the stories I wrote there are what launched my career. So don't think you're ever like, don't get discouraged. Don't think you're ever too big for anything. But I do have to say, I got my start as a newspaper reporter in high school and college. And then I was an English major. And then I got my master's in literature. And it's wonderful when you have perseverance and you do focus and you can, you can really, the more you write, the better you get. I think Hemingway said that like, you know, it's not a skill that you can just dip back into. It's not just like riding a bike, you sort of have to stay sharp, but the skills that I learned as a newspaper reporter, where there's like the newspapers going to print, so you need it like, what's the hook? What's the headline? I started out actually writing obituaries, which is very subtle. No, okay. People be like, well, that's the last word on it. You know, you don't want to get it wrong. And I feel like coming up through that traditional publishing realm has helped me in my career. I do, the one thing that I get discouraged about with travel writing is sometimes like there isn't, and this is just all across the internet and with the intellectual property in general and how much people are paying journalists. But sometimes there just isn't a lot of quality control about like if someone's a travel blogger and sometimes if you read some of these blogs, they're super subjective and not Mm. always accurate. And so it's wonderful that just anyone can start writing, but I do think that there is sort of a civic responsibility to try to, I don't know, I try to bring as much, I try to bring all of the, um, structural detail, t- things that I learned from newspaper reporting, the factual yeah. and combine it with the excitement and narrative. That is why a lot of travel blogs are so popular. So taking that sort of narrative experience, which just make me a little bit more accountable and like contextual to other places.
0: You just mentioned about how, um, some blogs can be subjective. So it's within ourselves we've got to be very careful in what we write because people will look at that and go, you know, oh, that, this is what it's like, but it could be completely wrong, you know, mm-hmm. have they got it factually right, you know, it's just their opinion. Uh, so what you said though, going on the objective sort of newspaper reporting sort of journalism is still way really forward.
1: And I also think it's having a knowledge of that, well, I think that's why the more you travel the better you are as a travel writer because you can put it contextually amongst other countries or like compare it to other parts of the world and sort of, you know, it's one thing to be like, well, St. Lucia's mountains are really beautiful by the ocean. But then if you can be like, well, and they, in my opinion, they do sort of look like the like central Andes and Peru. And then you mix that with like the turquoise of the Caribbean and just a way of describing things. And also the more you travel, the more you'll see similarities between different cultures everywhere and cuisine and, ultimately you want to be like, well, if you really like this kind of trip, then you should also do this kind of trip as well. So trying to be able to like make it accessible to first-time travelers, but also to people who feel like they've seen a lot and what makes this one part of the country unique. For Ship Savvy, I cover the Caribbean and that's like been a real focus of mine to go to. I've been to like 15 of the islands, island nations. I want to get, there's 32, but like being able to, I'm pretty well traveled in the area and that's like, has been a focus being able to like identify like what are the distinct differences between like a Barbados and a Jamaica and a Curacao. Cause sometimes you have, sometimes journalists will just like, well, this happens a lot with the Caribbean, which I think is like very dismissive and like has like a racist undertone here. It's just like, Oh, it's just the beach. But there's so much more to it than the beach. You know, people are just on cruise ships and then they'll go off and every cruise port looks the same. And, and you know, they won't be able to like come away with like what makes one place unique. As a journalist, like it's not my job to go somewhere and not be impressed. Or be like, oh, that was boring. Like anyone can go somewhere and not have a good, interesting experience. I feel like it's my job as a professional to find out what makes it cool. To find the, and usually it's the people that make it cool. And like, I'm not saying you know, hopefully you meet the right person on the street, but there are certain hotels, there are certain tour groups, and, Oftentimes, you know, it's important to focus on things that are locally owned because they usually have the inside scoop and just highlighting these different places around the world. It's because I think sustainability uh, environmentally is important, but I also think that sustainable travel is also a means of preserving local culture and giving back to a local population. So it's not that, you know, the only people getting rich are the owners who live in Europe. So I mm. think that that's something that's a huge focus, was a huge focus before COVID. And I think hopefully after COVID will continue to be as well. Well,
0: what sort of advice would you give someone who's, who's looking to start off writing then?
1: With writing, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge that I had when I became a writer was telling other people I was a writer and like stepping into that role and like feeling confident because I feel like there is this intimidation when you declare yourself a creative of any kind, particularly mm. when you're a freelance writer, you're sort of telling people before you actually are. So you're your own biggest publicist. And if you won't share your own stories and like pu- and market your work, then how can you expect anyone else to? But the very first step I would say is to pitch your local newspapers, pitch anywhere and everywhere. There's like wheretopitch.com. There are, I think there's, they're writing websites, but what I would do is like Twitter is a great resource. If you want to look up an editor, Yeah. So say you have a great idea. And you know, you could, like I had one of my earliest stories picked up by the week, which I was really excited about before I had other places. So I'm not saying don't aim super high at the beginning, but just aim everywhere and just, Start building up, I really think, with local newspapers is huge, because they are often looking for writers, and you are also the expert of that one place. And for travel, if you want to write about travel, a lot of, I mean, there are two like, I, like sort of modes of thought here. One is that locals write the best travel stories, because they're local, and they know everything. Mm. They know all of them. But I also think that, you know, my guide to New York City would not be the same as someone who doesn't, who, who doesn't live in, or didn't live in New York City. So I feel like you could be, you could take advantage of the former, particularly in America right now, where everyone's looking for hidden gems. If you want to be a travel writer, identify like the one cool museum or the one cool thing about your region, your state, anywhere you've been and pitch that story. But don't feel that like you, like any writing is good. Any any writing will lead you into travel writing. And I've had a lot of opportunities because I do cover a broad swath of topics. So if it's like, I went, I, I went mm. to the Amazon forest with like, all of our guides were um, natives to the, to the Amazon, so cool Amazon nature tours, and was so focused on sustainability. But I also got that um, I also got that story lead because I'd written other places actually, like actually about um, Jordan. And so I'm going so off the rails here. But if you write about culture in general and you're looking into like, yeah. and you're going to travel, all of your past work is going to help build you to where you want to go.
0: I've just recently done my own website. You know, I. I I've told you that I got the role on on radio purely because of what I've been doing online. Um your own websites, your own domain, everything is really really crucial as well, I think. That's how you sort of it, it's a part, a way of getting noticed. And obviously as you just said there, pitch to your own local newspapers, local magazines. Um and as you said if you, if you've got your own website and you can write your stuff on there, they'll ask for have you got any 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 material that we can read and you say yep yeah, read my you know go on my website yeah. and i've got lists of you know i've got stories of this 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 and then next thing you know they actually be quite like the way you've written this and stuff so um opportunities are always out there you just have to i guess believe in yourself and um always always commit 100% into it as well a lot of people will I, I, again i spoke to another blogger uh, about th- two three weeks ago about a month ago i should say um A lot of the time people fail is because they give up after a year, six months, you know, you got to, again, perseverance is the word I always keep hearing, you know, constantly. If you don't carry on doing it, persevere. There's going to be tough times, you know, you're not going to succeed. And hard work as well. I've noticed, I don't know whether it's like a younger generational thing, but you don't want to, they don't want to work for it. And you have to work for it. Literally, you know, it's not going to come to you. I mean, it, it, I mean, I mean, I shouldn't, I mean, I, I'm on my travels, you know, but I've decided to, to do the show still, you know, I can mm-hmm. say, you know what, forget about it. I'm going to stick to just, just traveling and stuff, but it, it's making sure you have to work for it. And <laughs> that's, that's the key yeah. to it really.
1: And I mean, it's really hard. I mean, for deciding to go from sort of, from a corporate job that had a, like health insurance Thank God I now have again, but like on a career ladder, it's terrifying because you are sort yeah. of going into the unknown, and for me, like I would work like all night I worked I still I feel like I'm, it's hard to get to the point where you feel adequately compensated, but it does begin to happen, but at the beginning you're writing for very little and you're working very hard. The way that I knew that the reason I kept with it is because the sense of satisfaction that I felt when a story was published, it was just like an escape guide tricks and who goes oh, like. Yeah. I loved it. Like now when I'm like a professional writer all the time, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, this deadline, like, why do I do this? But I, I really like to write and it brings me satisfaction, the act of writing and getting published is like, I think Dorothy Parker had like said, you know, I hate writing. I love having written, but when a story is published, it's like, you feel accomplished all over again. And if it's a story that matters to you, then you're excited to share it with every single person. And like, i don't know for me i'm like sending it to the the tourism bureau of the entire country just show you know i feel i feel an immense satisfaction by being able to relate and experience that i feel like it's important but yeah you have to you have to accept that it is a lot of rejection but then the payoff is huge yeah i said this as someone like i waited until i was 30 to even start i always knew i was a good writer just from school and like i liked doing it in grad school gave me the final push but It took me until I was so sick of like my career in advertising. I was just like, I don't care about this at all. All I'm doing is making money to travel on the weekends. If this doesn't give me any joy anymore, like I'm going to go for it. If I don't go for it now, I'll never go for it. And I think there's this idea that like the 30 under 30, like everyone's got to get everything done by their 20s. But I find that your 20s are oftentimes like a lot of experimentation, like, the travels I did in my 20s have certainly helped my career, but it wasn't until mm. my 30s that I really started doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. So if you're like 29 or even if you're 35, like there are writers, what's your face? I bet it's Annie Prue is this amazing novelist from Wyoming. She started writing, I believe, at like 45, you know? So oh, yeah, with yeah. writing, you know, it's never too late to start. And yeah, you have to, if you want to, particularly with travel writing, you have to like writing first and foremost. You have to want to be a writer before you want to be a traveler. Because if you want to be a traveler, quite honestly, there are much more lucrative ways to go about it. And at the end of the day, your job is writing. So mm. the travel is amazing, but, you know, it's all in service of writing. And, yeah, you have to enjoy doing that, obviously. It's, it's like the majority of your time.
0: Some of your stories, I, I've, I've read your website. By the way, you've got an awesome website, uh, say. Um your, say. Um, I mean, I can, we can go through a lot of these journeys, but which one would you say was the most transformative uh, travel experience for yourself?
1: When I was, it was the first fall that I'd started writing and I'd always wanted to go to Kenya. And I don't know why, okay. because there are also other amazing places, that I really want to to Zambia now as mentioned and Rwanda and Uganda. but I'd always really wanted to go to Kenya. And okay. another thing, if you're trying to be a travel writer, just starting out in general in the travel career, like answer every pitch email. Like even if you feel like it's not relevant to you, answer, make connections. And as you mentioned about the website, Sometimes it's hard because as a journalist, you know, well, as a freelance writer, I'm only paid when I'm writing, but there's so much more to it that goes into the career than just writing. But like, yeah, having a professional looking website, I spent probably countless hours on it, but I got connected via um, a meeting I had about Satoki, Japan with Kenya Airways, and I ended up being on the first ever direct flight from New York City to Nairobi. Oh. And so on this flight, there are all these po- Kenyan politicians and then all these amazing journalists from publications oh, wow. I look up to. And we landed and I met the deputy president and he told me, welcome home. And the speech he gave was just amazing. Cause it was a huge moment for like East Africa and American relations, like not just for tourism but for commerce as well. And he was like, you know, Queen Elizabeth became queen in Kenya. You know, The last president, Barack Obama's father, was born a Kenyan. He was like, but It doesn't matter where you're from, if it's Europe, if it's Asia, if it's South America, Russia, when you come to Kenya, you're coming home. It's the capital of mankind. And that just set the tone for the whole trip. Like, we started out in Nairobi, went to Nanyuki, went to Saimara. The people I met were so amazing. And like, Kenyan culture is, I mean, I loved it. I mean, it's very self the Humor is very much to make fun of yourself and other people. So I felt like I was just vibing with everyone there. And it was just the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And the story I wrote about that was like, I feel like my first really big travel story that I was really excited about, even though there were others before that, but that remains like that trip. And then my trip to Peru, doing the Asangate trek. And then my trip in Nepal last fall were probably my three major Mm -hmm. and then the amazon rainforest in new zealand were really great and the arctic in finland but those those three for some reason i think it's because kenya i also like to do an activity when i travel and i think that a lot of people they're like oh my god yeah i'm gonna explore the town i'm gonna do this but trekking in peru like being out there all day walking Mm. you have no choice but to like really bond with the people you're with and like it's so immersive and in kenya you know you're on safari and you're out there all day. You know what I mean? In the bush, it's amazing. And in Nepal was safari and trekking. Like I did safari in the jungle with um, tiger tops and I trekked the Himalayas with mountain travel Nepal. So I feel like those trips, or those extended activities were like, and the Amazon. So I try to find, I try to write about stories like that too, because you can go to a wonderful place and like I, people who are like, Oh my God, I never have an itinerary. I just wake up. I find these great things. I have a lot of respect for that. But like when I'm left to my own devices, like I'm only human. Sometimes I'm on Instagram, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff, it's very easy to like, to no matter where you are in the world, if there's wifi and electricity to disengage somewhat. So I found the moments where there's no wifi and no electricity really great. So
0: those are amazing stories. Uh, I mean, I, I was meant to go to Kenya this, this, um, this month was meant to be my trip to Kenya. Uh, I was meant to do a couple of other places in Africa. Uh, but you just sold it to me. Uh, I've got to go there as soon as it opens up. And Peru, I did do Peru myself a few years back and trekking up and just connecting with locals. And, uh, you just have to do it. And, um, when you did Peru, by the way, did you do the Inca trek or did you do the Laris trek?
1: So I did the Asengate trek. So I started and it was with REI and Andean Lodges, REI Adventures and Andean Lodges is this boutique tourism industry, okay, how do I describe this? You land in Cusco, you go out to the Sacred Valley, then from the Sacred Valley, we took the Peru rail, and we did one. We did the Sun Gate track to Machu Picchu, which everyone should do, because you get to Machu Picchu, yeah. 4 p.m., you descend, the view is insane, and nobody's there. Like, my, like the Peruvian government, and the Ecuadorian government, actually, I put on South America, are really great with preserving their um, cultural landmarks. Like, it's not, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it really isn't crowded, even if you take the, you know, easy way up. But we started in Machu Picchu, and then we went up, and we started the Asangate track. And it's a lodge-to-lodge track to the highest lodges in the world. Like, we were sleeping at 17,000 feet. Like, we're going so high that, like, cars, cars don't drive. You know, there are no street lights. There's no cell phone service. There's no Wi-Fi. You know, planes don't fly up there. And when they when the Peruvian um tourism, when the Peruvian government, like they were trying to figure out a way for these for these communities in the central Andes, which have had the same sort of beautiful way of life for a very long time. But they live so high up, like you have to descend if you're giving birth. Like it's really you're really up there. And the Andean Lodges, what it does is they partner with REI and the money that you spend on the truck goes directly to the communities mm-hmm. and all of the income is split equally around the communities, like about fifteen thousand feet. It's like an idyllic world of communism in my opinion, but you know, like they were able to build kindergartens. They were able to build women's clinics up there. And so you track all day and pass the most insane things like red lagoons, like glacier valleys, deserts. And then at night, you know, you're welcomed by your Peruvian hosts who cook you this amazing meal. They give us amazing slippers as well. And it's just so fun, you know, and you drink pisco sours and it's lovely and it's a seven day track. And then, mm, eighth day and then the eighth day you get up to rainbow mountain which like that itself is saved by tourism because i don't know it's how many people are familiar with rainbow mountain but it's the mountain in peru you definitely seen pictures of it it looks like it looks like someone like drew lines of sand of different mm-hmm. colors like it's all these different colors. it looks like an insane sand bottle created by like an impressionist artist it's nuts doesn't look real it's a very holy place for Peruvian people, particularly for people who live, in that, who live in the central Andes. And in the 80s or 90s, in a rare global misstep, Canadian miners were going to actually drill and mine into this, these mountains. And these people were like, how are we going to save this? And I actually met Roher, like the minister of culture there, and he was like, we were like, okay, we need to let the world know. So they took out an ad in Etihad. I believe it was their Fly Etihad magazine. It just had a picture. It was called like Explore That and then a picture of Rainbow Mountain. And it said, do you know where this is? Essentially, if you do, you can fly there. We'll fly you there. They didn't even fly there. It was like a partnership. And it went viral. And it got all this attention so that the miners like retracted their um, contract and they were able to save it. So that's an example of tourism doing good things like that whole track. But you go to Rainbow Mountain and it's like breathtaking, but literally breathtaking because there are day trippers who come up from Cusco on the bus and they're in their like oxygen masks because it's not healthy to like ascend so high. But at that point, you know, oxygen wasn't necessary for me. So that was like really beautiful. And that was actually my first time in South America. And that's a lot. No, that was my second time. Last year, I'd never, weirdly, never been to South America. And the past year I did the Amazon, the Galapagos, and the, the Galapagos were also. The Galapagos series, yeah. that's like walking into planet earth. Like if you like, see, like sea lions, when you're snorkeling, just come up and play with you. It's just like, it's so, it's so amazing. And I, Champy, oh my God. I will not remember his first name. He goes by Galapagos Champ cause he knows everything about the Galapagos oh, okay. He's so charismatic. But I stayed at Picaya at Lodge, which has like a cruise that goes all around and it was just awesome.
0: I just want to go to viewer question, actually. There's a question from, well, there's a uh, comment from a guy called Dale. He's based in Boston. So when we're talking about the regulation, uh, not regulations, when you're talking about when people write subjective stuff online, uh, he's put down, uh, it's a great point, zero regulation and oversight leaves it all open to, uh, open for propaganda, uh, yes. which is actually a th- fair point.
1: And that you could find that. I think that part of that is happening right now with, And I have some friends who are influencers who are wonderful and they're really great. But, you know, I guess I forget what happened. There was like influencers doing money laundering in Kuwait. I read about that, I think, a week ago. But sometimes things are very, I know, Google it, it's a crazy story. Sometimes you have to worry, like, I feel like that's why people try to be like, were you paid to be on the trip, you know? And like, Mm. there is a lack of regulation and that's true. And that's why I also feel like, heritage publications you know like an architectural digest or a business insider or, or anything kind of like there is more accountability for what you're reading and even when i've researched trips like i was going to dominica which i really recommend people go to if you like nature at all it's called the nature island of the caribbean it looks like a mixture of like new zealand and yellowstone if you can imagine that on the caribbean sea but i was reading a but i i wasn't really looking at what i was reading but I, and then halfway through it was just like someone's blog about like their one unpleasant experience or trashing the whole country and if, there's just no objectivity mm. and it's important for us as readers also to take a look at like you know this the content the stories we're reading the content we're consuming i know also like a lot of the travel blogging sphere can just be a lot of white girls which as a white girl i mean but i think with black lives matter two people are diverse are showing like look at who's telling the stories you're reading and, mm. you know, look at the stories, like who are they also catered to? So I think that there is a need for greater diversity and greater accountability in travel, but, and journalism, travel and journalism. But I think the issue is it's almost like teachers with writers, like very underpaid. So there isn't a lot of regulation yeah. there. It just isn't a lot of incentive either to be on the up and up. But that being said, there are so many, Amazing journalists. I mean, for Forbes, I've profiled a ton of them. I did a 15 black travel writers to read now, all of whom like I've traveled with who are really amazing. But I've also interviewed travel writers about everything, you know, their favorite trips, their packing tips. And I'd recommend following if you like a specific writer, particularly because so many writers are freelance, follow them across, you know, their different platforms. And Absolutely. that's also a way of seeing like, if you like someone's take on Jamaica, you'll probably enjoy, if you, you if you have the same interests as someone, if you read their story and you're like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And then you see, they've written something else about like Sweden, you know, like follow along with that because travel is personal. And when you find a writer that's speaking to you and your interests, like stay with them. Another
0: question someone's asked, um, what are you writing about now? Obviously if there's something that you can't tell us, obviously don't tell us.
1: No, I'm writing a lot about Martinique actually. And I'm also doing stories on the best road trips to take in the American West. So like this trip I just did from Jackson hole to big sky and sort of profiling different trips. You can take like in this part of the country. I mm. think that those stories are going to be really, and also I want to in New York. I think those stories like, Domestic travel is something I'm going to focus on more and also like for skiing this winter like if you like going to this place in Austria or this place in in, um, Switzerland, etc. Like here's the American equivalent.
0: This is from Dale again. He's from Boston. How hard was it Making the change from a corporate America work life into a full-time journalism travel role.
1: So for me because I had really wanted to be a writer for so long that my time, when I immediately started writing, I felt like fulfilled in a way that I never felt, particularly in working in media planning corporate America, I didn't really care about toothpaste advertising. I also felt like this is a career where my natural personality, which can be kind of informal or chatty or I don't know, like I can stay up and write for almost days, like has has been, my, been to a benefit for me. Like it was harder, quite honestly, for me to manage people. And maintain that, like, professional distance. Like, I feel like the people I work with, I grow close with. And that's been helpful here. And just, if you love what you do, you're going to find you're better at it. Because you're, I don't need to pretend to be, like, I met with this fish camp safari in Zambia this morning. And I didn't have to pretend to be enthusiastic about it. You know, so I feel like passion comes through. And I found that relationships are just as important in both industries. But I find that in the tra- in the journalism, it's almost even more important. Because, you know you're sort of in a constellation of tourism bureaus and editors and publicists and journalists and everyone works closely together. And if you go on one trip or you write about one trip really well and you got one story, that's going to stay with you. But what has been something that's been very different is that I am just going to work and having a couple meetings and getting paid. You know what I mean? Like you mm. have to really balance out like the actual, a lot of the work you do, even though it's to service the stories you're able to write you're not actually compensated for. So that's something I've been doing this for two years. And I feel like I'm finding the balance between like the amount that I want to earn like, for everything that you definitely have to pay your dues at the beginning and you're doing a lot of the unpaid work, which is why a lot of people don't go full time and quit their jobs until they sort of have something lined up. And for me, like I moved out of my New York city apartment and I moved home temporarily with my parents. Cause I was like, I just, if that was a risk I was willing to take. And I was like, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I was talking to this guy, I forgot his name, years ago on the Upper West Side, very successful freelance journalist and like obviously made a good amount of money. And he was like, "If it, he's like, the more you're getting hired, the more you know it's working. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, well, what about these people who say they're artists, but they're trapped in a corporate job? And he's like, if you're really like, if it's something you really passionately feel like you want to do, you're going to do it and you're going to find a way to do it. So for people who want to be writers and want to break out on their own almost now, I don't know. Now we're all, you know, working from home. But <laughs> don't be, for me, I would beat myself up for not having been like a published travel writer by 22, 25. You know what I mean? Even 30. Mm. I didn't, if you had told me five years ago I would be a travel writer talking to you, and I, I wouldn't, I would have said no. So it's really just a matter of sort of having confidence in yourself. But for me, it was just like I was so sick of what I was doing that I was ready to push it. And maybe if I'd been better at my, if I cared more then you know, I would prefer the life I have now, but I see why it can be intimidating to make the jump. I frankly am always shocked that I was able to do it because I was so worried about it. But the skills you learn in corporate America will help like the professional website respond. Don't be. And here's another thing. Some journalists, some people think that like, particularly in travel, that like the way to like demonstrate their own worth as a journalist and as a travel professional is to sort of almost be like dismissive and condescending about things like, oh, Mm. like I've been in Argentina five times, and this other place was better, or I'm above this type of like pitch or trip or what don't be above anything or anyone and you're not. And if you believe that, then you're probably not a good traveler because I feel like what travel travels is a great equalizer. so just be as enthusiastic to the person who's emailing you about the Jersey shore. I'm from New Jersey, so I do love New Jersey, as the person who's emailing you about an Arctic, about a trip to the Arctic, you know, because that person, it's very the interesting moves around a lot, and that person who's representing New Jersey could suddenly next week, be representing like Bolivia or something. So be friendly and be kind and that works. Basically.
0: I've got another question. Um, apologies if I'm pronouncing this wrong. It's from Isha Nishritha. Ishdani. I think it's, yes. right. Okay. Um, she's written in, Hey guys, I've got a question. I'm curious about how do you think traveling will change post COVID?
1: I do think that there's going to hopefully be an emphasis on more culturally responsible and environmentally sustainable travel. Because I do think one side effect of people being stuck at home is everyone's had to pause and slow down a bit. And obviously everyone's writing about like, oh, you know, there are suddenly birds in New York City on my windowsill. But I do think that there's more of a general heightened awareness by the public. Hopefully also like culturally as well. I mean with the protests that have happened with like black lives matter and everything. I think that people are being, trying to be a little bit more responsible about, as we mentioned, the voices they consume, but also what is being locally, what's locally owned. What's not. I, it's been a trend for quite some time that people are not interested. And like, it used to be, I want to stay at this Hilton, it was like a Starbucks latte. I could be in the four seasons in Hawaii, Singapore, Wyoming. It all feels the same, but a trend in travel is that people want to feel like they're in a unique, that they are Mm. in a place that reflects where they're staying. And I think that goes hands in hands with locally owned. So hopefully that will be an emphasis too. For me, and this is my speculation, what I have seen and like, just from my own personal experience, I'm I'm quite well traveled, but I'm haunted by the trips that I didn't take, that I could have taken, that now I'm like, God, when will that ever happen again? If you always wanted to go, hiking in the Himalayas, like you're not gonna wait another three years after it's available. You're probably gonna try to go as soon as possible because who knows what's gonna happen next. And I think that there are gonna be immense travel deals. Like I think when we can travel again, the tourism industry is hurting just as much as every other industry, at least like in the US, badly. And people need people need travel for the economy for so I think that you're gonna be able to find you're going to be able to find amazing deals. And hopefully, one thing I hope will stay the same is the flight cancellation or refund policies by airlines. Because right now, you could book a flight to, I think it's like New Zealand, for like $400 for six months from now. And if you have to reschedule, you can sort of reschedule indefinitely. And I think that that kind of flexibility is too rare in the travel industry. And like it causes a lot of people to sort of have like second second thoughts about committing to something, particularly if you're going to go to, I mean, if you're going to go to South Africa and you want to plan out a two-week trip, you know what I mean? You want to be able to know now there's so much uncertainty in the world that if something does come up, you can reschedule. So hopefully airlines will become more humane.
0: Um, I just want to quickly ask you about um, when you sort of wine and dine. What do you like to do outside of your, your writing, your travels? Uh, how do you sort of relax?
1: I love to socialize, which is really hard right now. Um, <laughs> I love to meet. So... Yeah, like, I mean, I like to, like, for fun, I feel like surrounded by, like, my friends. You know what I mean? Like, traveling. I guess that is traveling. But with friends, doing stuff outside, mm. reading, cocktail hour, <laughs> watching trashy television sometimes, reading a good book. Um, it's nice because a lot of, like, I feel like as a writer, I am alone a decent amount. And I feel mm. like I have, in my personality, a mix between being really extroverted and a people person and then also being able Like I'm this week, I have a lot to write. So I'll just sort of retreat into a cocoon. So, but what's nice is that everything I like to do in my personal life. And I think this should be the goal of any career, like has become my profession in a way. Like all Mm. of the trips that I do and all the stories that I write are about things that also interest me personally. And I do feel like, you know, the luxury adventure market is huge, but also like the friends travel market, because you'll always see stories about couples retreats or family vacations but, you know, data shows that the people spending the most money on travel are 20 and 30 something women with disposable income and they're going as friends. And I've traveled with um, boyfriends and family, but I've also traveled with friends and those trips are the ones that I tend to consult more online. I like figure because I'm the one who's planning it. So speaking to that audience, too, like whether you're a consummate traveler who's been everywhere, sent DNA, like seen everything and they're like, OK, I want to go to the Asingate Trek or if you're someone who can travel once a year. But it's like, you really like have to decide like which ones to go to where you want to go and what you want to do, like speaking, serving that audience too, which is why I think roundups help. Like I did a 10 bucket list trips for 2020, which I was one of my favorite stories. Cause like all of those trips are just like literally mind blowing.
0: What you said there about your personal life that becomes your sort of work, like because you enjoy it so much. Uh, I think that's, that keeps things, the, the fire burning doesn't it? really, um, You know, you're you're doing something that you love doing and, um, you know, socializing with friends, you socialize when you go away, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's all marries in together. Doesn't it really? That's what I think. Yeah. um, I think travel
1: writing is something it's helpful to be a people person because not everyone is, and obviously you can write an amazing story without making a friendship with a local. But for me, what I found is that like the people are always the place. And had I not, you know, and it's easy to like people act like, and it is big, it is a dream job, but it mm. is work too. And like, I remember I was in Barbados and it was like 13th Island and maybe like three weeks and I was dead tired. And then, you know, I was talking to my, um, to my, to my guy, Derek Morgan, who's amazing. Everyone should, everyone should find out in Barbados, but we were chatting and then part of me was like wanting to disengage. And then it's like, you no, know, you have to say yes, like go to the fish fry go to the second location, go to the third location. And maybe that can be a little bit dangerous to say yes to everything. I've been very lucky. Um, but yeah, like the more to quote Phil Murray, like I try to be available for life to happen to me.
0: Thank you for coming on and, uh, telling us your story. Uh, fascinating. I could literally talk to you forever cause <laughs> we, we just have so much to talk about, but uh, I have to call it a day there, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, hopefully you'll continue your success
1: thank you and thank you guys for all of your insightful questions it's nice to see some friends from around the world too thank you for coming on again and
0: uh we'll speak very soon
1: perfect bye guys
0: take care you can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms the details are in the description that's it for take a Wonder with Shebs. don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms until next time bye for now